0: That's investher, H-E-R, con.com, promo code 100 best ever to get $100 off your ticket. Instead of thinking about it as something is complete, think about it as something that I'm going to build on to do bigger and better things. I think that's the key. Best ever listeners, before we jump into today's episode, for all my fix and flippers out there are your financing costs eating away at your bottom line. And are you looking for a way to increase your overall profits by lowering your loan payments to the bank or maybe your private lender? Well, our best ever sponsor, Patch of Land. You know Patch of Land. They've been on the show. Representatives of their company have been on the show many times. They've been a sponsor of this show many, many times. They're back for more because they love you. And they love working with the best ever listeners. And they've got an interesting point of view on interest rates. And that is that it's... The interest rates that we are quoted shouldn't necessarily be taken at face value because perhaps a higher interest rate could actually deliver a lower cost to your fix and flip loan. And they have a white paper on how that is possible and how that can be applied to your fix and flip business to help your bottom line get more profitable and to help you choose the best uh, lender for your financing needs. So go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless, and they've got a white paper for you, and it will walk you through the way to evaluate interest rates in terms in general on your loan so that you truly are getting the best interest rate because there are some tricky things some lenders try to do to um, glaze over the fact that their lower interest rate, quote-unquote, is actually higher based on some technical things that they put into it. So go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless and get that white paper so that you can save money on your fix and flip projects. Patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Best ever listeners. How you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show on Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. We're doing a follow along Friday. We've got Theo Hicks, as we usually do on Fridays, and Theo, we're going to be talking about perseverance and accomplishing some pretty big stuff after
1: you persevere, right? Yep. Just for some context, we had the Best Conference, and we had a panel where people were talking about kind of getting to the next level, and it was interesting because three of the people on that panel brought up the fact that whether it was their first deal or just some apartment deal their career where they were initially rejected and then persevered and ended up either getting that deal or a different deal or it somehow basically worked out for them in the end. And so based off of those lessons that we learned from those speakers, we wanted to kind of touch on that and have a conversation around that on the show today. And so we have three specific examples that we want to go over.
0: The panel you're talking about was titled Next Level. I think it was called Next Level. I think it was called Next Level. Yeah, Next Level. And it was a panel I moderated with four of my consulting clients who have recently gone from not as big of a deal to a large deal. And I didn't put this together until I started asking them on the panel about the deal. I didn't connect the dots until they were all in the room together and we were talking about this, that three out of the four... Had the deal fall through, or they didn 't get awarded the deal before they actually purchased a large deal so here are some three specific examples jason he initially found the deal for three point one million dollars, and it took him seven months to negotiate with the seller to get it down to a price point that was a good deal for Jason and his investors. He ended up buying it for 2.3 million. So seven months, that's a long time. I mean, I want to think about how long seven months is and what can be accomplished and how different things are seven months from now or seven months ago. Do a daily journal and you'll really realize that. I look back seven months. So it took him seven months to negotiate this deal. The second example is Poncham. Him and his business partner Rajan, they had a 78 unit that fell through. Didn't work out. They had put a lot of time, a lot of effort in this deal, and it would have been their first syndication. Didn't happen. Shortly thereafter, they then found a 44 unit and they closed on that deal, raised about $800,000, and made it happen. So for them, they didn't get the first deal and then they ended up getting the second. And then the third example is Andrew. He bought a 190 plus unit apartment community and he initially wasn't awarded that 190 plus unit apartment community. Another buyer was awarded it, but then that buyer didn't pan out for whatever reason. I believe it was a 1031 buyer that didn't end up working out. Basically, he got second place initially. And then once the initial buyer didn't work out, he was then awarded the deal. So perseverance, number one. But number two, it goes a little bit deeper than that. And that is thinking about the end and how we approach the end, how we treat others at the end of something. And instead of thinking about it as something is complete, Think about it as something that I'm going to build on to do bigger and better things. I think that's the key. And it reminds me of a passage from a book. And the book is by Robert Greene. He's one of my favorite authors. Theo, you know he's one of my favorite authors. I talk about it all the time. And the book is 48 Laws of Power. And before I read that, what are your thoughts on what I just said, Theo, while you're gulping down some coffee
1: right now? I totally agree. Because if you don't keep where you want to go in mind and what you're trying to accomplish in mind. Actually kind of reminds me of, of two things that were actually said at the conference. One was when Troll Fletcher was talking about how champions love the process as much as they love the outcome. And then two was when Scott Lewis said, prepared to get punched in the face. And so obviously all three of these situations, they probably went in with the expectations of it being not necessarily completely smooth and easy, but Jason didn't expect to spend seven months probably negotiating that deal. But when he got punched in the face, he was able to, maybe in because he loved the process or because he kept that end goal in mind, for whatever reason it was, he was able to continue on. And so when Scott said that, obviously everyone knows that, that things usually don't go according to plan, but it's how you react when things don't go according to plan is kind of what separates the winner from the loser, so to speak. And it sounds like in all three of these situations, when they got punched in the face, they took the correct steps to make sure that they either didn't get punched in the face again or they fixed up their wounds and got back in the ring and kind of continued going until they won the fight. So I definitely agree with everything you're saying. And I'm interested to hear what quote you've got from 48 Laws of Power, because the majority of that book can apply to so many different life situations. So I'm kind of looking forward to hearing what you're going to pull up.
0: Yeah, I'll read the passage here in a second. It's almost, when we get punched in the face, it's almost saying, thank you, sir, may have another. Because it's the mindset that what is taking place right now Is not the end. And I want to make sure that I'm connecting. And obviously, if someone keeps punching in your face, you punch them back or you figure out another solution or approach. So perhaps that analogy is not most appropriate. But it's important to build relationships with people even after you get disappointed by them. And perhaps it's not friendly, let's go have drinks relationship, but just leaving it so that you are on higher ground or you are on high ground that way you can continue to build and build on your experiences because ultimately we're all going to come across challenges. We're all going to come across things that we don't like. We're all going to get screwed over by someone at some point in time or multiple times. So really it's about how do we approach that? And are we continuing to take the high ground and creating empowering meanings from that? When Andrew initially didn't get his 190 unit plus deal, well, he could have thrown a fit with the broker. Oh man, that sucks. And we didn't want this deal anyway. He didn't. Instead, he continued to build the relationship with the broker and they ended up getting awarded a deal. And oh, by the way, after they closed on that deal, the seller enjoyed his experience with them so much, they now have a 200 plus unit deal under contract. Boom, there you go. But if he would have Ended on a sour note after he wasn't initially awarded something, then he'd be without 400 units right now. How powerful is that? So here's the passage For most of us, the conclusion of anything, a project, a campaign, an attempt at persuasion represents a kind of wall. Our work is done, and it is time to tally our gains and losses and move on. Understand this in any venture, your tendency to think in terms of winning or losing success or failure, is dangerous. Your mind comes to a stop instead of looking ahead. Emotions dominate the moment, a smug elation in winning, dejection and bitterness in losing. What you need is a more fluid and strategic outlook on life. Nothing ever really ends. How you finish something will influence and even determine what you do next. Some victories are negative, they lead nowhere, and some defeats are positive, working as a wake-up call or lesson. This kind of fluid thinking will force you to put more strategic emphasis on the quality and mood of the ending. It will make you look at your opponents and decide whether you might do better to be generous to them at the end, taking a step back and transforming them into allies. Playing on the emotions of the moment, keeping your eyes on the aftermath of any encounter, you will think more of the feeling you leave people with, a feeling that might translate into a desire to see more of you. By understanding that any victory or defeat is temporary and that what matters is what you do with them, you will find it easier to keep yourself balanced during the thousands of battles that life entails. The only real ending is death. Everything else is a transition. Hmm. Yeah, that's a really good ending to that quote too. This guy's money. Robert Greene, 48 Laws of Power. It's a must read. 33 Strategies of War. I'm reading that right now. But everything's a transition except death, which, well, depending on what your belief system is, certainly that could be a transition too. But we'll just talk about as our time on earth. How about that? Anything as we're on earth is a transition and it's important to approach accordingly nothing's an end. So have yeah. empowering meanings through that.
1: Yeah, yeah, that really reminds me of, I know I've talked about this before on the podcast. but I mean, again, it's such a great point that I have to keep bringing it up. It's Scott Adams, the Dilbert cartoonist, brings up kind of the difference between goal thinking versus systems thinking. Yep. And obviously he's not saying don't set goals and just live in the moment and do whatever. He's saying that when you are trying to accomplish a task, your goal should be to have systems that you can use indefinitely throughout your life as opposed Mm -hmm. to doing whatever you need to do to accomplish some goal and then having the skills to be able to accomplish it again. So an example, we talked about a couple of weeks ago about hiring a mentor. So if you're going to hire a mentor that is going to do everything for you and your goal is to make a million dollars in real estate, maybe him doing everything for you will have you reach that goal of a million dollars. But once you reach that million dollars, you're not gonna have the skill sets required to replicate that or to maintain that. Or do it again if it happens to go away. Whereas if you do it yourself, and it may take a little bit longer, it may be a little bit harder, you may have a lot more setbacks along the way. But once you actually get to the million dollars, you have the skills, the knowledge, the expertise to be a millionaire. And you'll have a better chance of maintaining it and replicating it. I like think the cliche is that the first million dollars is the hardest. But once you get to a million dollars, even if you lose all of it, like you know what to do again, unless you set a goal and then did whatever you needed to do to get to it and didn't actually learn the things yourself. And so that's kind of how I think of the goals versus system thinking in my head. Obviously, you need to set goals. Obviously, you need to strive towards something. But the success of that goal cannot be based solely on the outcome because technically that's not going to be the best for you in the long term. Mm -hmm. And so even if you don't reach that million-dollar goal in the timeframe that you want to, but you've learned the skill sets to make $500,000, you're way better off than you would be if you had someone basically drag you along the way to that million-dollar goal.
0: So an action step would be when we create goals to list out next to them, the skills we'll acquire along the way, regardless of if we achieve that goal. That way we are building on something and we're treating things as transitions, not
1: start and stop. Mm -hmm. And you can do that before you set the goal, but you can also do it after you've reached it or failed to reach that goal. Look back and see, you know, hey, what skill sets? As he said, some defeats are obviously legitimate defeats that you need to be like, all right, I messed up. But some of them are going to be positive because you can have a lesson from them. And I'll say most of them, if not all of them, you can pull some sort of lesson from. Absolutely. But after you get defeated, look back and be like, all right, so yeah, I I got beat up. What did I do wrong? But also, what did I do right that I could extract and apply moving forward? And then what do I need to get rid of? So instead of just thinking about what you need to get rid of or just scrapping the entire plan, extract the the gems and then get rid of all the turds. Yep, I like it. I need to read 48 Laws of Power again. I forgot
0: how powerful that book is. Yeah, it's awesome. Let's see. We got two listener questions. And by the way, best ever listeners who are listening to this via the podcast on Friday, we do this live earlier in the week. And you can just go to bestevercommunity.com and you'll see the feed earlier in the week. So these are questions that are coming in right now while on the call. And one is from Braden, and he asks How do you tie up investor capital on deals to take that take several months to acquire? Well, the process for raising money is once you have it under contract, then you start the money raise. So the contract, if that's what you're referring to, the several months between contract and closing, you can either have them fund 30 days prior to closing. So that's only in your escrow account for 30 days or... You can have them fund earlier, and that's just part of being an investor in the deals. Another idea that I've seen done is paying a very small interest on the funds once they are submitted up to closing, so like 3% or whatever interest, whatever they might be making in a CD or something like that pay that so that they're getting a tiny bit, but they are getting some sort of interest on their funds. We don't do that. It would be just a logistical nightmare to do that. and We're not set up that way, and it's not a whole lot of money, really, at all. But that is an option that I've seen other people do. But with us, we just try to fund about 30 days prior to actually closing, even though we're having investor conversations prior to that and as early as once we have it under contract. And then Paul asks suggestions on top three ways to find multifamily deals. Well, don't we have a document on my website? Just com. the little carrot that we have for people to opt in is what, like 27 ways to find
1: off-market deals? Yes, yeah, so if you go to com, the first thing you'll see is enter your email address to get access to 24 proven ways to find off-market deals. If you go to the resources tab for our our blog, we have a category for finding deals. I think we call it lead generation. And we've got 30 articles in there about how to find deals in general. I'd probably say at least half of those are specific to finding multifamily deals. Cool. So go to those resources. And Paul, if you still have
0: questions about that after you check out all that stuff, then... Let us know and we'll be happy to address some specific questions after that. And then last one, how long is your typical escrow period? Right now, it's typically 60 days from when we sign the contract to when we close. Ideally, we do 90, but it's just a really competitive market. Once we have an agreed upon LOI, it's typically about 10 business days from that point to having a signed PSA purchase and sale agreement. So we got 10 days on the front end from LOI to PSA agreement. And then we've got usually 60 days, sometimes 90, but usually 60 from contract to close. And that's because it's a competitive market and need to be able to close quicker. What else we got, Theo?
1: Moving on, do you have any updates, observations for the past couple of weeks? Nope. Talked about that stuff already. I'm good. What about you? I've had a busy two weeks. I've seen this recording last week, but three things actually. So I have my quarterly or I think it's maybe biannually inspection of my units, which again, was technically done when we bought the properties by an inspector, Mm -hmm. but the property management company that I hired will go in there and review each of the units to check out some deferred maintenance. and. It looks like I actually addressed most of the deferred maintenance during the first couple of months that I had the property, that it was a lot of deferred maintenance, but I'm glad it's out of the way. A couple of minor things that we had to change. I can't remember if I talked about this last time or not, but one of the buildings, the I guess the building with the most deferred maintenance, we'll just say that, there was a unit in particular that was the biggest problem, and we were uncomfortable giving the current resident a 30-day notice just because- They wanted of, to move out though, right? Didn't they, they, want, they wanted to yeah. move out, so yeah, they're moving out, the person above them is also moving out, which is also an issue resident. And so we're very excited about that because we can go in there. The upstairs unit is actually completely fine because the guy was barely ever there. And so that one will turn over pretty quickly. And the other one we're going to turn over and increase the rents by almost a hundred bucks. So we're excited about that. And once we actually implement that rent raise on those units, as well as all the other ones, I will definitely let all the best of our listeners know how that went because As we just talked about earlier, not everything goes according to plan, so I'm sure something will come up, but we'll figure it out. Secondly, we are sending out a direct mailer to all of the four 219-unit buildings in three specific Cincinnati neighborhoods.
0: Okay. The
1: letters are ready, and we're sending them out probably this week, early next week, and so obviously I'll let everyone know how the results are, but just to let everyone know what I actually did, I partnered with an agent who did it for me, technically for free, but obviously she'll get a commission if if we end up getting a deal. And the mailer, I can't remember exactly what it said, but I mentioned that I was an active investor, that I already owned properties in that area, and I was looking to acquire more. And if they were interested, let me know. If not, is it okay if I reach out again in, I think I said three months or six months. Mm -hmm. And again, I kind of just wanted to get a mailing campaign out there so I could see what the response was, so I could make some changes and kind of A-B test and see what works. And what doesn't work? What I'm very curious about is see how it's going to work coming from a real estate agent, just because you know she's using her branding mm-hmm. on there. I'm curious to see how that works. Again, if it doesn't work, I'll just do it myself, my own branding. I put a picture of myself on there and a picture of my wife on there too, so maybe that'll attract some people. <laughs> and so we'll see what happens. <laughs>
0: you and Marcella are pictured
1: on the direct mail piece, but it's coming from an agent. It's on behalf of the agent, so she's not saying that she's buying it. She's like, these are the investors I'm representing. And at the bottom, mm-hmm. it's our picture.
0: Okay, all right, color picture. Color picture. Wow, did you sign it? We didn't have to sign it. No. no? Okay. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I'm interested to
1: hear how this goes. When do they get sent out? I'll have to reach out to the agent. I know last time I checked in with her, she sent me like a picture of just all the letters printed out, all the little printed stickers yeah. for the addresses. How, how
0: many? How many are being sent? Four hundred something. How did she get the addresses and the contact information? I
1: did that. So I just sent her a spreadsheet. So this is very Cincinnati specific. I'm not sure if this is how it works everywhere. But if you call into the county auditor, they'll give you like a three-week username and passcode to their back end of their their system. And you can download all the tax information on all the properties or all the sales information, all the delinquent tax information. So I just downloaded that and then did some Excel magic to sort it and Mm -hmm. get the correct properties. I wish I could figure out how to just pull out the four units and the five units, but the category is four to 19 and technically I could sort based off of a value or sales price, but I just mailed all of them. If it's too high of a cost, I'll sell it to someone else, maybe raise money for it. I don't know. We'll see. I was pretty pretty jacked up from the conference, so I feel like I can do anything right now. (laughs) (laughs) That's
0: right. Well, you can. You certainly can because others before you have done it. That's sweet. I'm looking forward to hearing more about that. I'm sure everyone else is too.
1: And then finally, and thirdly, last fall on Friday, we talked about me starting a mastermind group. So I took action on that. I've got my first mastermind group in Tampa scheduled for Wednesday, March 7th. And I had a really insightful conversation with someone at the conference who is a, I guess we'll call him a master meetup creator. And he hosts one of the biggest meetups in Denver. And he gave me some tips. And one tip in particular that he gave me was doing it weekly when we first started out. And so I'm not sure if I'll do it weekly or monthly yet. I haven't exactly decided. I'm going to have a conversation with people that attend the first meetup. But I was thinking about either doing it weekly at this exact same location or you know, since Tampa and I guess any city is so big, I could do some sort of like traveling meetup where I do one meetup at my location and then one meetup in like St. Petersburg and then one maybe like in Clearwater and then one closer to downtown Tampa. Mm-hmm. That way I could do it once a week, but it'll be at different locations, kind of following the approach that maybe it was Taylor. I think he does his every day of the week, so he's a rock star. But basically just kind of traveling around. From my perspective, I don't know if people would want to come every single week, maybe just once a month. So that way it'll technically be once a month in the different locations, but for me it'll be once a week. One thing you'll want super clear in your own head is
0: – why you're doing this because when you start increasing the frequency to that degree you can get burnt out quickly unless you have a very clear reason
1: why you're doing it and the business benefits for doing so yeah right now my business benefit my outcome is to one make friends Mm -hmm. two, learn the tampa bay market and three bit form relationships with people in the tampa bay market so that i could invest in deals in tampa eventually cool so all right the Outcomes. That's yep. what I got going on in my business right now. I'm super excited to be taking all this action and have all these things on the horizon, and I can't wait to update everyone on how it goes. And the mystery
0: gentleman who you were referencing in Denver is that Adam Adams? Adam Adams. The man so, with yeah. two first names. Yeah, we want to give him give him a shout out, give him props because he's giving you some good tips. So great stuff, and yeah, interested to hear how that goes.
1: Awesome. So just to wrap up here. Make sure you guys join the best ever show community. That's best ever show.com or best ever show And if you join, you can answer the question of the week and have an opportunity to be featured on the best ever blog. So each and week we ask a question. Sorry, go ahead.
0: You said best ever show.com, but that doesn't go to the Facebook
1: group. Sorry. Best ever community.com. Got or it. Or best ever show community.com. We've got, um, there you go. Okay. Again, we post questions on there once a week. And if you answer that question, we'll feature you or have you have the opportunity to be featured in a weekly blog. This week's question is a fun one. Tell us about your best and or worst real estate story. So I can't wait to go on there and talk about my favorite flooding story or my favorite waterfall story, but my first duplex. I, I love telling that story.
0: <laughs> if you want to see some horses in a basement, then you can go check out that post and you'll see an incredible, <laughs> incredible sight someone was literally keeping horses in a basement. Jeezel. Yeah. Let's see. We've got a book coming out, my friend. What do we call it? Best apartment syndication book ever. I forget what the title we Mm -hmm. ended up with. But basically, it's a book on how to do apartment syndication from start to finish. It is the most comprehensive, detailed, and action-oriented book on apartment syndication out there. It is being created because... There is a need for it. That's for sure. I wish this was out whenever I was getting going. Here, if you're watching the video, boom, look at all this. That's the book right there. We're reviewing it. And if you want to be the first to know when it is published and how to get access to it, then what is that website?
1: Bestevernewsletter.com.
0: Bestevernewsletter.com. Make sure you put in your email there and you will be on the weekly newsletter that we send out and that will also notify you when the book comes out. So very excited about that. And that's going to be a game changer for a lot of people in a very large way. So I'm looking forward to you and I adding a lot of value to people's
1: Mm -hmm. lives through the book. Me too. And our final call to action is make sure you subscribe on iTunes and leave a review to the podcast for your opportunity to be the review of the week. This week's review, which is my favorite review, and you'll see why in a second, by William Coleman 202, the title of the review is such a great resource, and they said, this podcast is great for real-life examples of how to be successful in this industry. Joe covers so many different aspects that you can nearly search any topic on real estate and find a great interview with an experienced professional. This podcast links you with so many great resources, such as Joe's books, his conferences, and best of all, the people he interviews. I greatly enjoy the follow along Friday. I knew it. I, knew, you they're
0: to, gonna, <laughs> I knew they were going to mention you. I was waiting for
1: that. Where you get to know Joe and Theo uh-huh. and learn a bit about how they think and <laughs> run their business. They must listen.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I saw that coming from a mile away. I didn't want to interrupt you though. As soon as he says my favorite, I was like, he's got to mention Theo. I'm sure he mentioned Theo. Where is it? Where's it? When's it coming? Well, thank you. You said Will? Will, yeah. Will, thanks so much for leaving a review that helps us get high quality guests to elevate everyone who is a part of our community. So please continue everyone to leave reviews. We will continue to highlight it, give you two thumbs up and we'll continue to put our best foot forward to give you good info that's actionable. So thanks everyone for hanging out with us. I hope you have a best ever weekend and we'll talk to you soon. Today's sponsor patch of land has got document for you that you've got to check out if you're a fix and flipper. They show you how a higher interest rate can actually deliver a lower cost to your fix and flip loan, and conversely, how a lower interest rate could deliver a higher cost to your fix and flip loan. Needless to say, you got to know this stuff to identify the best loan terms. Go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Get this document, patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. The Corporate Investor Podcast is geared towards successful corporate employees with high-income jobs looking to create a second stream of income. You'll hear from successful real estate investors on the show as they describe how they got started investing while working their full-time corporate job. Listen and subscribe at thecorporateinvestor.com that's the corporateinvestor.com.